Our text can be found in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. If you'd like to follow along, we'll have it up on the screen, or if you'd like to read uh, along in your Bible, I'll give you a moment to find it. Starting in verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Stanton. A lot has been happening uh, as we are going through Luke's gospel, and as I have shared before, it really is uh, a text that we all kind of know because we read it on on a regular basis, but we usually read it quickly and don't spend the time probably necessary to really understand what is happening and particularly in the order of the events and then the significance of those events. And so when we don't spend the time necessary, we can, we can miss what really is happening. Drew said in his prayer, or actually in his, in his opening com- comments, he, he, he was thinking about and he challenged us that our hearts would be open and respond that our hearts would be open and respond. Um, and we, we talk like that a lot, that you need to open up your heart to the Lord. Now, one of the reasons why I wanna draw special attention to that idea this morning is the fact that when we, when we use that kind of language, and it's going to appear not in our text, but in the one right before it, that's what godly people do, is they open up their heart to the Lord. What does that mean? And, and for the, the time and the place in which we live, to open up your heart is to be receptive um, to, to feeling for and to wanting and to desiring, you know, to open up your heart. But actually in the context of the scriptures, to open up your heart is to open up yourself. There is no Hebrew word that kind of distinguishes the heart from the mind, And so the mind and the heart are one. And so to open up the heart, as we're going to see, means to be receptive. To to say at moments in our lives, I don't know exactly what is going on. I don't have the ability to fully comprehend what is happening. And so what I will do is I will be open. I'll be open to, to listen. I'll be open to learn. I'll be open change. And that's what Advent is. I think that's why it's important that you slow down. I think that's the reason why words like meditation and reflection are not just things that monks do or people that have a lot of extra time on their hands. But it's a biblical response. 
to be open, to open up one's heart. Um, as we look at this text, if you have your Bibles, I, I want to encourage you to already turn there if you haven't. Um, I want to take a look at this, but I think before we just jump into verses 67 and following, which is known as Zechariah's prophecy, or as Morgan would call it, a song, and I think it is probably a song. It, it, it has, but what's interesting is, is that even when you go back and you look at even the Psalms, the Psalms are, are psalm songs that they have. Not When we think of song, we usually think of tune, but they don't. They usually think of more of like the structure or the content of it. The idea of saying something and then saying something again. The idea of saying something and then adding the, in the next line something that expands it and, and helps it understand. That's how they understood this idea of song. Um, I've often wondered, how does Mary and Zechariah particularly, how do they just stop and write a song? And then, have you ever thought this one? And then who wrote it down? Who wrote it down? Well, I think one of the things that we need to realize is that the Holy Spirit is the one calling things to memory. That's what the scriptures teach. I have no doubt believing that the God that created the universe could help Mary remember what she said or record later what Luke needs to record so that we could have it as record, right? Also, though, how Mary and Zechariah are able to do this is they are so steeped in the language, particularly of the Psalms, that they just kind of talk like this. Blessed be the God of Israel. It's interesting to be um, in Israel and to hear them speak. It's, it's, like, it's like they know the Psalms better than I do, and many of them do. It's the language that they hear in the synagogue on a regular basis. Blessed be the God of Israel. It's kind of like the way you would hear, God bless America. It's just such a part of how they how they speak and how they think, that I believe Zechariah and Mary and others in the scriptures are not only just speaking from the heart, but they're speaking from the heart mind, which is already at a certain degree in tune with God. And that's why when we end this service, we're going to have another um, responsive reading. We're going to do it all throughout Advent. Why? Um, I think in part because it helps train our language so that we know how to speak to God. Um, I think about this when, when Jesus is asked by the disciples about prayer. They said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus didn't say, well, just do anything you want, just as long as it comes from the heart. He said, when you pray, pray like this. He taught them how to posture themselves, go inside closet. Don't do it so that you might be seen by others. And when you pray, pray like this. Pray these thoughts about God. Pray these thoughts about his plan. Pray these thoughts about his purpose, which assumes that in part for us to grow in our prayers or in our conversations to God, that we know him, that we know his plans and his purposes. And I think that's the reason why Zechariah is able to respond like he does. He knows God's promise. He knows God's plan. He just didn't know the timing. And then the timing came. And so what has happened so far? An angel has appeared to Zechariah and promised that he was going to have a son. And then as soon as Zechariah demonstrated his doubt, by what sign am I going to know that this is true? The angel um, judged him with temporary silence. 
Here will be the sign to you, you will not speak till the child comes. Zechariah goes home. All of what the angel promised that God was working happened and a sign to, to Zechariah was his silence, his inability to speak. And as that is going on, another angel comes and appears to Mary. Matthew is going to say that that same angel then has to appear to Joseph. So there's a lot of things that are actually happening, which again, my favorite idea that I've got from this Advent series has been this, is that we do not fully understand or appreciate all that God is doing because we're not everywhere and we're not everyone. That has taught me to be more patient with him. God, what are you doing and why aren't you doing something? And so often there are things that he is doing and changes that are taking place that God feels no apparent reason to feel like he has to, I tell people this all the time, the Lord has never consulted me on anything. The Lord has never asked my opinion about anything. (laughs) That's, That's a good reminder for me. Like I'm here, like Mary and Zechariah, sometimes doubting, sometimes believing, but I hope I always have the attitude of both of them May it be your will in my life. And so now, the text that we kind of skipped over a little bit was the coming of John the Baptist. So Elizabeth, John's mother, Zechariah's wife, has John, and when they have John, and they say, what are we going to call it? Remember, Zechariah can't speak. Elizabeth says, you will call him John. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't have any Johns in the family. We have no Johns in the family. Where did that come from? And, and so they're, they're literally arguing, which, you, you, by the way, you, you should not do this. Don't argue with the mom about the naming of the child, right? It's kind of like I even understood it in our family. Yes, dear. I mean, it's one of those things. And I ended up liking all of them, but I kind of understood how this works. And you don't argue with that, but they argued with that. And then they go to Zechariah, and Zechariah motions to them and says, no, his name will be John. It's not a family name. It's not a name that um, I necessarily wanted or Elizabeth wanted. It was given to us from God. His name will be John. And then when this happens, he begins to speak. He begins to speak. But before he speaks, Luke uses this phrase. And the people marvel at this child. And they, 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 they measured these things in their hearts. It's kind of an interesting phrase. And one of the reasons why I picked up on it in this narrative here, right before Zechariah speaks, is because it's going to happen again with Mary and her child. When the angels come and they tell Mary what's happening, they, they, when, or sorry, when the angels come to the shepherds and the shepherds go to Mary and, and the shepherds say what the angels told them, Luke records again, and Mary treasured these things in her heart. And that seems to be this really important theme in Luke's gospel, and therefore I think an important thing for us to remember as we wait for the coming of Jesus this Christmas season, which is that we are expected, as the participants in Luke 1 and 2 are expected, to be in a a posture or in a position to say, I do not fully understand. I do not fully know God's plans or purposes, but I know enough to open up my heart I know enough to open up my mind. I know enough about him. And I even know enough about me. 
that I need to change. And I need to respond to what he is doing. The biggest problem at Christmas is not, oh, bo, oh, humbug. It's not about being miserly or being stingy. It's about being closed spiritually to what God is doing. To somehow missing the point of this amazing arrival. God in the flesh. Let's break it down, verse 67. One verse. Then his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And so the words that are coming from Zechariah's mouth are actually, I believe in some sense, his. But they are his under divine direction. It is the Holy Spirit either calling to mind those things which Zechariah already knows or putting in his mind those things that Zechariah, those things that Zechariah does not fully know or appreciate that consistently throughout the scripture, there are those moments in which the Holy Spirit either assists, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples, that he will, he will remind you of those things that I have taught you. And so, so much of the work of the Spirit is to remind those who are in tune with God of the words that are said. If anything, what, 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 what the Holy Spirit does, John says in John 16, through the words of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And it convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment by reminding the world, or those of us who are in the world, of what God has already said and how God has already acted and what God has already done. It is this wonderful pattern or the consistency of God that allows us to move forward in faith. Believing that we know who he is. Believing that we know not only who he is, but what he said. And then therefore, having a sense of what God is now going to do. And Zechariah, in this moment, after having about uh, over nine months to reflect on his doubt and now the reality, begins to speak. And what's interesting is, is that the proclamation here is not just how, how excited he is to be a dad, or how wonderful it is, but that God has stepped into time and is doing something. Look at verses 68 through 71. He begins with the statement, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel. God is one who is to be blessed, who is to be revered, who is to be honored. And for what reason? Because again, when they talk about blessed be the God of Israel because he has visited what they are describing here is God coming down, God rescuing, God, that's the, kind of the major theme of this passage. What Zechariah is going to be kind of drawing his attention to, what the Holy Spirit is reminding him of, is the fact that God always comes and visits his people when they are in need in accordance with God's plan and purposes, which he promised from the beginning. Interestingly enough, this, this prophecy or this song literally is a retelling of the story of the children of Israel when they're in bondage in Egypt. As they waited and waited and waited for 400 years, which by the way is about the equivalence of what the last prophecy in Malachi and the coming of Jesus is. 400 years of silence and then the Lord chose to remember, and, and by the way, when the Lord chooses to remember, he has never forgotten. 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. What's interesting is, is that we, we, we always want to run to, and this is why I want to kind of caution you. I'm glad that we know about this event, right? The cross and how it fits in. Zechariah doesn't know that. Zechariah doesn't understand that. That's why I think it's important to realize that to open up your heart and to be prepared is because this might go in a direction that you don't know. God's plan or God's purpose in your life might go in a direction that you're not really ready to welcome, that you're not even prepared to conceive. But what do we know? We do know this, that as the Lord moves, the direction he is moving toward is redemption. We're gonna see this language. It is salvation. It is rescue. And what's interesting is, is that one of the reasons why you and I need to keep our hearts open this time of year, will you consider this, that you don't know how you need to be rescued? Like you think you know. Like you think you know what rescue you need. You think you know what redemption looks like. Because you know where you hurt. Or you know where you lack. Or you know what you want. You have a desire, a hope. You believe that if I have this, then I will find peace. Would you be open to the possibility that maybe you don't know? That you just have a hole or a lack. And that you do have a desire. And the Lord, can he satisfy that in ways that you do not understand or appreciate? I truly believe that one of the reasons why I have struggled personally with prayer is because I ask for God to do things because I want things like peace. I want things like provision. And then so many times when he does it, I don't have the ability to recognize it because it didn't come in the form in which I expected it. That's not open. That's God, here's what I want. And if we're honest, we never say this out loud, but in our posturing, I think I know what I need more than you do. I, I think I know what will satisfy me more. Than, I think I know more than you do what peace really looks like. But Zechariah begins with his prophecy, with his song. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has visited and he has provided redemptions for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation. That idea of the horn of salvation is either that idea of like a ram's horn that is not only a sign of power and strength, but is that thing which they blow when there is a battle and there is victory. So again, he understands this idea of power. He knows that it's going to come from the house of his servant David. And then he also knows that all of this was spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. That what God does, he does consistently. He has spoken it and it will come to pass. He has spoken it and his words will not return to him empty. He has spoken it and what God has said he will do, he will ultimately do. And we need to be ready in those moments to Receive it, to be open, and to be responsive. And then it's interesting, in verse 71, it actually says, what God has promised is salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Which, by the way, is true. 
But again, this became one of the deceptive things, that what Israel thought the problem was was just Egypt. What Israel thought the problem was was the Babylonians. What Israel thought the problems were um, was, was the Roman Empire. And like, God, if you could just set us free, then we would have everything that we need if we just had a land. God gave them a land, and it didn't solve their problem. But if we just had a king, and God gave them a king, and it didn't solve their problem. But God, if you just returned us to the land, God returned them to the land, and it still didn't solve their problem. So hear me, what the Bible actually teaches is that God will rescue us from all of those that hate, from all of those enemies, but there is a greater problem, a greater disconnect that is happening in each and every one of us. And that is what God has come to redeem. Look at verses 72 through 75. How does God deal with people? Interestingly enough, one of the reasons why things take so long for the Lord is because he is exceedingly merciful and kind. I've been reminded by this, is that a lot of people are like, what is God waiting for? Why is God waiting? Do any of you have someone who does not know the Lord, whose life is literally in jeopardy? Eternal life, that is. I do. I'm grateful for the Lord's delay. Are you? I am. I'm grateful for the Lord's kindness that every time I didn't do something wrong, we, you know, we joke around about the lightning strikes. I've actually never seen that. I actually see people live pretty destructive lives for both themselves and others. And if anything, it seems like the Lord is doing nothing. And the scriptures teach us, don't consider that to be nothing. No, the Lord is merciful and kind. Look at this. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And so this is what is governing God's plan and God's purpose. I think that's why in the scriptures that you have thousands of years moving from Genesis 1 all the way through Genesis 11 with no like meticulous details, all from Adam to Noah, Really, we don't know a lot that happened. From Noah all the way to Abraham, Abraham, not a lot going on. And then all of a sudden with Abraham, it appears like the Bible just almost screeches to a halt. Slow down. This is really big. Genesis chapter 12, God appears to someone named Abram and says, I want you to leave the land that you are now in. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave all of that. I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you because I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And indeed, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that is what the entire rest of the Bible from Genesis 12 through the end of the revelation of St. John is God remembering his promise and being faithful to his promise. When you go back and you look at when Moses is on Mount Sinai, all the languages, and he remembered his promise to Abram. All through Israel's journey, and he remembered his promise to Abraham. He remembered his promise, and that's what Zechariah sees right here. That in the coming of Jesus, 
God remembers his promise. He is covenantally faithful. And what is it? Second half of verse 73. To grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. Isn't that been a common theme that we've seen? That God's invitation in, that God's desire for us to be rescued is not just for our own sake, it's not just for our own enjoyment, it's not just for our own pleasure, that what we even see with Abraham's life is I want you to come out of that land and I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing. That Mary, what I want to do with you is so that the world might be blessed. Elizabeth, what I want to do with you is that you might have a child and that child might be a blessing. This is a constant theme that we have throughout scriptures which is why we need to remain open because what God desires for us is never just for us. It's the kind of transformation that God is doing. It's interesting that, especially in this section, verses 72 through 75, you actually hear so much of the imagery from the children of Israel being called up out of Egypt. When Moses is told that they're going to be rescued, it's not, oh yeah, and we're going to this. It's no, no. I want you to tell Pharaoh that he needs to let you go so that you might come out into the desert and that you might serve me. Which, by the way, it's interesting because that word is, is commonly linked to the idea of worship. And so Pharaoh says, I love this line, who is Yahweh that I should consider his thoughts? This is how Pharaoh responds to the creator of the universe. Who is this one that I should consider him? Well, you're about to find out, Pharaoh. But what God has called his people out of is not just their misery. There's two sides to this. There are those things which are tormenting us and that are causing pain that we think we need to be rescued from. And what's amazing is I know a lot of people who get rescued from those, which is a good thing. But then once they're rescued, they still don't know what to do. They're still kind of lost. They jump from one vice into freedom, into another vice, into another struggle, into another problem. I have spent most of my life believing that just when I become, and you can pick the age, then all of a sudden everything will be and you can find my understanding of salvation. And what Zechariah picks up on is this incredible theme, not just that God will rescue, but that God will rescue you so that you might not only be free from your enemies, but that, look at verse 74, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. That is what real salvation is. That is why in the end, if your desire to know God is to avoid hell, that's what, that's what it is. I just want to go to hell. By the way, yeah, join the club. Only really ignorant people who don't know what they're saying either joke around or brag about having no fear of hell. But still, a fear of hell is not what we need to be most concerned about. What we need to be in love with is life with him, presence with him. That is why if you struggle finding any joy with this idea of heaven, 
Well, will there be golf there? Wait, that's a silly one. Will my kids be there? I don't know. Will grandma be there? For, for some of you, yes. For me, no. Will my grandkids be there? What, what Zechariah is speaking to, and this is why you have to have an open heart mind, is because we now realize, we submit ourselves to, we are being transformed by the power and the purposes of God so that we are not only freed from our enemies, but we are now serving him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. Verses 76 and 77. And now he directs his attention to this little child, John. And you, child, will be a weird one. And you'll go out into the desert and nobody will understand you. Actually, none of that. Just like you looking at your child had no idea when they were really little. You had no idea what their life was going to be. And he has no idea what he's saying. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways and to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Man, that sounds great until you really look at what John had to do to get there. Go off by himself. Have a crazy diet. Be completely misunderstood. And I would tell you this, not only misunderstood in his time, not only deemed, Jesus actually says that the people then thought that he was crazy. Like he's just some angry elf out in the middle of the nowhere. Have any of you guys been watching, um, uh, oh, I cannot remember, what's the recent Jesus TV show? Chosen. Totally blank there. One of the episodes that, that I, was at first really bothersome to me, I've, I've liked some of it, by the way, and then there was a really a troublesome one, actually, and it was when Jesus and John have a conversation. So one of the things that I like about it is it can really get your mind going. Fair? And the one of the things that I really don't like about it is, although I end up liking it for a different reason at the end of this, is that you can so tell it was made today. You can so tell that the ideas of Jesus and his disciples and everything is just, it is so 2022. It is so today. And so I could almost guess what was going to happen. And there's Jesus and John having a conversation and John's kind of the wild one. Man, we gotta, let's do this, hellfire and brimstone. And Jesus is like, hey, easy, John. Like, you just need to dial it back a little bit, John. You need to, it's like we don't, to this day, we don't know what to do with John. He would so not be popular. Like, even the boldest of us would just tell him, seriously? Like, we don't say that out loud. We don't know what to do with John. And I think one of the reasons why is what, what you see here. You will give the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. We just don't want to deal with that. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to label it. We, we just want to kind of gloss it over. 
We talk about what Jesus saves us to, but we never wreck about what Jesus, never, never understand what Jesus saves us from. That we're not actually, like what the Bible describes in this concept of repentance, is not just feeling bad, but like turning from. That's why when like religious people showed up with John, John says, oh, why are you here? Are you here to just go throw, through the motions? And he speaks kind of boldly. And in the chosen, they would have had it. And if Jesus would have been there, he was, hey, John, 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 listen, I love these people. Calm down a little bit. In the end, John's the one that always makes us nervous. And I don't think Jesus would disagree with a thing that John said when he was speaking from the Holy Spirit. And John is calling, and one of my favorite lines from John is, and what we need to do, he's speaking to religious people, and he says, you need to bear fruit with the things that come from repentance. That might be a good thing for us to hear this Christmas season, because the only way to have that is with an open mind, an open heart mind. That doesn't just feel bad for the things that I've done, but so desperately desires to live a life of holiness and righteousness in the presence of God all my days. Now this message of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, again, they don't understand that it's going to take a cross, but in verses 78 and 79, he draws attention to it. John, you are a great, great, great prophet. Because of our God, look at verses 78, our, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And this is why John, whenever he was asked, are you the one? Are you the one? John loved to say, I'm not the one. All I am is a pointer. For as wonderful as John is, and I would encourage you to be able to hear his words in your life, his words of calling us to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and I really do love John in many ways. I love the fact that Jesus says John was the greatest, greatest uh, human ever born up until today. And then the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. So John played a critical and very important role. Do not dial him down. And by the way, he's so good at it, you don't even need to dial him up. But there's a difference between calling people to forgiveness and forgiving them. And Zechariah ends not just with like, isn't it good to feel bad and isn't it good to just you know, confess those things? It's no, it is good to find peace. And that's Jesus. The only way that you can find the peace, the peace that you don't even know, is not just to have an open heart and mind, but then to receive it from Jesus. The only way for you to experience what Christmas is about is not just posturing yourselves. There, is, there are things that we can do to ready ourselves for God to act, but until God acts, there is nothing we can do. Do you understand the value and the importance to recognize that the spiritual journey that we, on, we are on is not just some kind of psychological exercise that we are working through? 
I mean, I know it has that as a component. But this is not a peace that happens on your terms. It's not a peace that you now experience and it is only existential or only experiential. It is in fact reality. And it is a peace that comes through the work of Jesus. And that is what Zechariah is so excited about. Not just what John is going to do. And if you think about it, I mean, I often thought, you know, Mary, did you know? But like Elizabeth, did you know? Because her son, much like many of the prophets, did not live a great life. It was hard. And the Lord rewarded him, them, for his life. Here you have in Zechariah's song the first words that come out of his mouth. And I think it is good to be reminded that people know what to say. How did Zechariah know this? People know what to say because God has already said it pretty clearly. What I love about Zechariah's song is it is so consistent with what scriptures teach. I love to just reflect on, I mean, sometimes we call it the faithfulness of God. It's the consistency of God. It's the predictability of God. He is so merciful and kind. And so then we get to celebrate or at least stand positioned, ready, open, our heart and mind before God, knowing that God's mercy has come because he has remembered his promise. And so we can wait, joyfully, expectantly, for him to come again. To know that God promised to come and to make peace for his people. And so I know how to pray and to wait for him today. Just like Zechariah did. Just like Mary did. Just like Israel did. And I know what God is going to do. But what is an absolute game changer is the fact that now you and I know that God's peace comes only through Jesus, his only son, and his Messiah. And therefore, you and I you know, have a reason for an open heart and a reason for an open mind to receive God's blessings, which come in so many different forms because they had no ability to look and find this. None. I want you to think about this. Their idea of peace did not go through a cross. Their idea of peace was so temporary. It was so limited. Did you know what they thought would bring peace for them would have no ability to help us? Think about that. If God came and rescued them, good for them. You and I, still in our sins. But when God came in the fullness of time, he came to bring us peace. I hope you feel the peace of God in your life. I hope you know that your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross has brought you peace. But if at times you're still wrestling with it, then I just want to remind you your faith in Jesus Christ has come and it has brought you peace. And if you don't feel it today, that's okay. It's still true. It's still true. 
How do I know? Here's how I know. Because Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to each of the disciples. And he said, this was my body, which is given for you. And I want you to eat it. And so they ate. And then he took the cup. This is my blood, which will bring peace to God for you. And they drank it. In those moments, and I think they come to all of us, where we might not be feeling it. Have you ever been there? I think that's why it's good when you can't feel it. You're still able to taste it. Taste and see that the Lord is so good. This is the peace that God has promised. Let us stand and sing about the wonderful hope that we have found in Jesus and in Jesus alone.